1: pretty special classic for you this evening fellow conspiracy realists uh if you have ever listened to a podcast then you are familiar with the person we're going to be talking to uh good friend of the show recurring guest uh the one and only legendary Payne Lindsay I, I forgot that we've been uh Payne has been working with us and you particularly Matt for a number of years now
2: since 2017 yeah man mm-hmm. it's been this a long is- time
0: that's right. this was kind of the first uh, big big collaboration between uh, you and Payne and, and the network. and it's gone on to yield some pretty amazing other things, sequels to the monster series, like the uh, the Zodiac killer and the
2: DC sniper. That's crazy. There's nine shows at this point, but this was the first time we ever got to hang out with Payne together and just have a conversation. And we talked about Atlanta monster up and vanished and several other things. And I think it was right as up and vanished season two was getting ready to come Mm -hmm. out. That's right. Yeah. Had a sneak peek of that. And so, uh, without further ado,
1: here it is folks, uh, catch up on these and then tune in because there is a brand new season of up and vanished on the way now, not to mention his new chat show talking
0: to death that I think you might see uh, some familiar voices and faces on in the not too distant future
2: yeah oh god we gotta do it it's tenderfoot also go listen to radical that's a great new show that's atlanta centric uh you'll be into it it's cool from ufos to psychic powers and government conspiracies history
1: is riddled with unexplained events you can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know
2: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Nolan.
1: They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. But uh, not any normal episode of Stuff They will Want You to Know. Not as if we've ever had a normal episode. Yeah, what,
0: what is normal? I don't even know what that is.
1: Yeah, it changed so quickly on <laughs> us. <laughs> but uh, this episode is a little bit different because we are delving into uh, several different stories that you are doubtlessly familiar with if you have explored podcasts in the past, and we're not doing it alone. Today, we are joined by... Uh, filmmaker, documentarian, co-creator, and host of the hit podcast Up and Vanished, friends and neighbors, conspiracy realists, and skeptics alike. uh, Say hello to Payne Lindsey.
2: Hey, guys. What's up? Not too much, man. We're just over here. You know, on this show, we talk about true crime a whole lot. Um, We delve into all different aspects of it. But we really were excited to talk to you, somebody who's created... Uh, a whole show and series of shows about true crime specifically, where you, you get to spend more than just one episode talking about a case, where you get to delve into every single aspect. And, you know, with your show Up and Vanished, uh, season one, man, the Tara Grinstad case, um, I just wonder if anybody hasn't listened to this yet who is listening to this show right now, can you give everyone just kind of a brief overview of that case?
3: Yeah, sure. So uh, season one of Up and Vanish covered a missing person's case in South Georgia. It was a missing beauty queen and high school teacher named Tara Grinstead. It was over 10 years cold, and there were no leads anymore, and people pretty much just stopped talking about it in South Georgia. And I came around and and made a podcast uh, about her disappearance and just started interviewing people in the town. And then about six months into the podcast, about halfway through, there was a major break in the case, and a tip came forth to law enforcement, which prompted them to search this pecan orchard, and um, they made two arrests for terrorist murder. So it it was a a huge story, and um, it's bizarre because when I first got involved, it was kind of like this sort of um, part of the town that people didn't want to talk about this anymore at all. They were um, afraid to mention people's names over the years, uh, over a decade, people have pointed fingers at each other and they kind of just given up on the idea of, you know, ever really finding out what happened to Tara. It was such a big mystery, but about six months into the podcast, there was a major break in the case. And from that point forward, we essentially followed, um, the suspects and their friends and interviewed everybody. And actually just recently, um, the One of the accused, Ryan Duke, hired a new attorney, and in the next six months or so, there should be a trial in Tara Grinsett's case.
2: Oh, man.
1: Wow. That's I mean, that's powerful stuff, too. And this is something that a lot of the folks in our audience today are definitely wondering when, when they hear about the story, about the investigation that you conducted under your own power. At, especially at first there, uh, several of the people listening now are probably aspiring keyboard sleuths, right to use use the phrase that I think you came up with, Matt. Uh, so we'd like to ask on their behalf about the process. How did you begin um, making these connections and tracking down the this information that in some cases, it sounds like people did not want you to find?
3: I mean, it's really difficult, but it's it's the same way as you could think of on your own. If you've ever been on Reddit or the Up and discussion board, different uh, websites like WebSleuth, um, it's all the same thing. You know, you try to find people's names, you find their contact information. I actually use Facebook a lot because you can see their faces and you can uh, verify that that's who they are. You can see their friends. And so I know I I, all, I do that usually just just with my um, own real Facebook profile too. So you know if I'm reaching out to a stranger, I'm saying, hey, look, here's pictures of me and my family. I'm a real person. I'm not just some catfish online. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know it's a it can be exhausting sometimes because you know you can go down a rabbit hole that is just completely just nothing. And you know I've done that before several times, um, admittedly. But um, I think you have to do that. To find the truth sometimes. Um, you don't know that until you reach the bottom of that hole and you realize, oh, okay, well, there's nothing here, or this is just all wrong. Um, and that's kind of like the synopsis of season one of Up and Vanish in, in a lot of ways. You know, I, was, I basically started with the two or three persons of interest that uh, law enforcement had unofficially announced to the media and that everyone had covered over the years and explored all of these people and their friends and um, everything else extensively, and then it didn't really go anywhere. Things were weird and suspicious, but there was nothing concrete. None of it really made sense, and then sure enough, out of the blue, there was a tip that came forward, and um, it was two guys no one ever heard of, two former students. So, you know, there's a lot to be learned um, from my first go-around, and uh, I definitely am applying a lot of that to season two, and um, it's an entirely different case and it's complex in different ways.
2: Oh, it most certainly is. Uh, and I want to get into that in just a second, Paint. I just want to stick on season one just because there, sure. there are a couple moments in here and in, uh, in minutiae I want to just explore with you. So... You know, you're talking about just giving your Facebook out to random people that you don't know. You don't know how they're involved necessarily in the case, at least behind closed doors. Right. Um, but you're putting yourself out there doing that. And this is a small town where people know each other, where there is a real threat of some kind of perhaps retaliation from either um, a person or group of people that actually carried out this murder. Um like what what kind of security measures did you end up getting in place when you're walking around that town on foot when you're talking to people maybe in their house or at a public place like how do you protect yourself
3: it's funny because at at first I didn't really think about it too much I just had my blinders on and I was just being almost foolishly fearless about it and just didn't really you think too much about my own safety. I was too determined to figure out what was going on. And most of the time it was from the comfort of my own home if I was on my computer and making phone calls. But um, when I went down there, I definitely took more precautions and I didn't really, you know, make a whole bunch of noise when I was there. And it really wasn't until the very end um, of the season after the arrest had been made and I was interviewing different friends of the suspects that I felt really uncomfortable down um, in Osceola, Georgia for the first time. And it was at that point that I realized, okay, I'm not coming down here again alone, one. And um, I'm going to have a completely different game plan whenever I come back here. And so I, I've um, I've since been back to film some stuff for the TV show that we have in the works. And this this go around, we actually had security with us. And um, they were outside of our door the whole night. Um, they were staying the, in the same hotels as we did. So we actually... Of hiring security (laughs) uh, the last time we were there.
2: And by the way, that is the, I think it's been announced enough now that we can say that's been, it's going to be developed with Oxygen, right?
3: Yeah, that's correct.
2: So look for the Up and Vanish TV show on Oxygen, everybody.
1: Yes. Yeah. And let us uh, let us know what you think about it, because it's no secret that here at Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, we're also excited. and Can't wait to see. Can't wait to see uh, how it all turns out and how the puzzle pieces match together. Uh, When we're talking about security, naturally, we begin to wonder about law enforcement. Right. Especially in the situation that occurs in Up and Vanished Season 1. And for everyone who's listening, uh, there there may be spoiler territory here. Uh, but one of the questions we have to ask is, given that the relationship between law enforcement and journalists can be such a complicated thing, uh, did, did you feel any support or did you feel any, I guess on the other extreme, animosity from local authorities when you were poking around initially in this case?
3: Well, at first, um, in Tara Grinsett's case, at first, local law enforcement, the Osceola Police Department, was pretty welcoming to me. Uh, they wanted the case solved too. And they had essentially run out of leads. So anyone who was going to go out on a limb and try to solve this and piece this together on their own, um, they supported that. So at, at first, it, it was um, they were pretty cooperative. Now, the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, they never really talked to me in the beginning. And um, from what I've heard, that's that's sort of like them. It's still an active case in their eyes. It was uh, an active investigation, so they didn't want to divulge any details about the case or really comment on it too much. But um, really halfway through the series is when things started to change. Once there was two arrests in the case, it just got real again. It went from being a cold case to a murder case with two suspects that have been arrested. And so with that comes all these new rumors about these people and almost a a live investigation again. And so from that point forward, really no law enforcement wanted to talk to me at all. And, um, you know, really, if you listen to the entire series, there's not a single interview with a police officer that was a part of that case, none. And it's kind of hard to imagine that now, but um, that's just the way it was.
2: Wow! But you, uh, so you did have assistance. There, I mean, there are so many voices on the show. You had assistance from investigators and some other people that came through and ended up uh, assisting you in some way, right?
3: I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it assistance. I think it was <laughs> just they were, um, they were supportive of the podcast and someone telling Tara's story on a major platform. But they weren't giving me tips or pointing me in a direction they stayed they steered very clear of that and really they it seemed like after the arrest they didn't really want to touch the podcast at all
0: so when you're out there interviewing folks i'm sure you want to travel light so you can be kind of like you know um, nimble and getting around and getting as much in as you can what kind of equipment do you use when you're out in the field recording interviews and chasing down leads what's your kit
3: my kit is my MacBook Pro and all of my files synced on Dropbox and for the team to share. And I usually I just run with a, a Zoom H6 and either a shotgun mic attached to it, or I'm running like a, a really short XLR cable to a, a better sounding mic. Um, and then someone's usually holding that. But I like to have one H6 with an onboard mic on it at all times. Just in case I'm all of a sudden talking to someone who's telling me something very important, I'd rather not record it on my phone so I get some decent audio from an on-board microphone with the Zoom H6. But that's that's pretty much it. It's pretty simple.
2: That's awesome. And it's actually pretty affordable. And there are some other versions of that Zoom that you can get there even cheaper if you're thinking about starting your own thing listening out there or uh, you know, checking it out. You can... You can affordably get some stuff to make a pretty cool show.
1: And we'll return to this story after a word from our sponsor. From BBC Radio
0: 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
1: He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed.
0: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate,
0: grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop podcast producer?
1: Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that.
2: With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your
1: own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert.
0: Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: And we're back. While we're talking about inspiration, uh let's take a, a let's go a little bit further down the rabbit hole because as longtime listeners know, Payne, you and Tenderfoot TV did not just create Up and Vanished, you also have created Atlanta Monster. Along with, for a peek behind the scenes, uh, a, a collaboration with our very own Matt Frederick
2: and Ben Bolin and Paul Deckant. And uh, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a teamwork makes the dream work. But the the reason this goes to a question of inspiration is, I'm sure many people are curious to learn what originally inspired you and uh, your Donald and your team at Tenderfoot to investigate the story of Wayne Williams.
3: Yeah, definitely. Really, it was. It was my business partner, Donald, who brought Wayne Williams to my attention, and I had never heard of the Atlanta child murders before. It happened in the early 80s, and I just started diving into the story and looking into it, and just taking me back to that time period and seeing how different Atlanta was, I just saw so many different reasons to tell this story, beyond the question of whether or not Wayne Williams was innocent or guilty. I saw sort of painting a picture of a time period that was in some ways forgotten and that shouldn't be. If I didn't know about the Atlanta child murders, that meant that there was probably thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who also didn't know about the child murders. And it turns out that was correct. Um, I just saw there was so much to explore there. And I, I thought it, the the race part of it seemed extremely relevant to today. And I thought that it, we could you know, extract some sort of positive silver lining message from it in some way. So difficult, I thought that we did that. Um, and I just thought it was, in some way, the history lesson for people, and even for myself. And that's why I thought it was so cool, because as I was diving through all the old archives and just interviewing these people, being taken back to a time period that I wasn't a part of and seeing how different it was, really kind of opened my mind a little bit. So there's a lot of reasons why I chose to to tell the story of the Atlanta child murders, and they weren't all about Wayne William Williams.
2: Just for anybody who hasn't listened yet... Um, I hate to do this to you, Payne, but can you give us an overview of oh, uh, the Atlanta oh, Child Murders case?
3: You mean you haven't listened to Atlanta Monster?
2: I mean, I haven't heard any of it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if you haven't listened to Atlanta Monster, you should be pressing pause right now.
2: Okay. That's true.
3: Um, so Atlanta Monster is about the Atlanta Child Murders that occurred in the 80s. There is a man in prison for some of the murders. His name is Wayne Williams. And for the past several decades, a lot of people have questioned whether or not Wayne Williams is the right guy. And Wayne Williams today in 2018 still says, I'm not the guy. I didn't kill anybody. So there's always a bunch of a bunch of conspiracies around this case, a lot of different advocates either for or against Wayne Williams, and a lot of unsolved murders of these children. Um, either way, however you slice it, um, there was upwards of... 28-30 uh, kids on this list of children who were murdered in Atlanta in that time period. And only about half of them were um, blamed on Wayne Williams. And what what that leaves us with basically is a bunch of unsolved murders of children. And so there, either way, there was a, a huge injustice done, whether Wayne Williams was a serial killer or not. So we essentially explored that and not to give too much away, but during the podcast, we make contact with Wayne Williams in prison, and he gives us uh, his take on everything. And he's still claiming his innocence, but as he gives us new information that is supposed to prove his innocence, we kind of go back through that and dissect it and find out whether or not it's legitimate. And it's, it's complicated, but um, it, it would take listening to the whole series to get, a big, to get the bigger picture.
2: So you, you did... Talk to Wayne Williams. Um, I did. Now, you, perhaps you don't have to. You don't have to answer this pain, but I'm just going to ask it. How does one talk to a convicted, possibly serial killer in prison?
3: Oh my! I don't know how I did that. <laughs> it was. Um, I found it pretty difficult, just because I had to sort of put on this sort of persona of wanting to hear everything he had to say. And I, I I wanted to gain his trust. And I did want to hear him out. I wanted to hear. He told me he had proof that he was innocent. So I wanted to hear it. I was going to give him the benefit of my own doubt and hear him out. But over time, it just became really difficult because he would call me at random hours from different numbers in prison. And we would just talk for long periods of time about the same exact things. And I started realizing that, he wasn't really calling me to, to tell me he was innocent or for me to get him out of prison. It, he didn't really seem too concerned about that. Hmm. He really just wanted the spotlight. He wanted, to, he wanted someone to talk to like myself. And if it wasn't me, it was somebody else. And so over time, it, it, it became harder to talk to him. And my patience levels significantly decreased. My patience was pretty much lost there by the end. And uh, I had to sort of pass Wayne Williams off to, to Donald for a little bit because uh, we were building the podcast, and, you know, our calls weren't very constructive. They were just sort of rehashing things that didn't really make sense. And so just kind of grabbing the steering wheel and, and taking it somewhere at all, anywhere of significance, was just plain difficult. But um, we did our best to extract as much information Legitimate information as possible. Whether or not that was true, you know, is to be seen.
2: Uh, just for some more background information here. Um, just Payne, You're talking about just how little time you actually had when we were in production of this. So um, there was a production team on the House Stuff Works end that would, engin- you know, engineer and work on the shows and edit to a certain extent. But most of everything was edited at least in the major first pass by you by Payne himself, mm-hmm. um, as he's also like going out and recording everything and doing the interviews and stuff. So yeah, it, it, time was of the essence and I can't imagine, uh, getting stuck on the phone for like two hours at a time oh. while you're
1: in a crunch. And even the hassle of going through the bureaucratic steps necessary to gain access, right? To yeah. a convicted felon. Oh, yeah so were were your calls monitored as well? Surely they were right?
3: definitely and any call that came from the prison itself, it's always monitored and there's a little voice that comes on before the call starts that lets you know for sure that it's definitely being recorded
1: and in these in these conversations, you know you you hit on the fact that there was at times this feeling of talking to a broken record or hearing a record on repeat, but one thing that fascinates me in this story is something that you mentioned at the very top when we were talking about this, that you found stories and threads that did not necessarily have a direct relationship with Wayne Williams. Uh, Could you tell us uh, maybe one or two aspects of this journey that surprised you as you dug further into the investigation?
3: I guess the most surprising part of it to me was just how severe the injustice was to some of these families talking to the families myself and um, just hearing their stories in person really changed my entire perspective of the Atlanta child murders and Wayne Williams and what the true injustice was here. So that, that thread alone was the biggest, just sort of seeing all these children's murder cases essentially being swept under the rug and the fbi and the atlanta police honing in on wayne williams and wanting this to go away so badly and for reasons that aren't just about catching a killer reasons that are about preserving the city's, um you know the way the city looks and feels to the newcomers and just atlanta was on the rise and people in power saw this as something that needed to go away and it needed to go away fast and so with that mentality came this sort of um, sweeping under the rug with these cases. And so what happened is you talk to these families, and almost all of them will tell you that they don't think Wayne Williams did it. And in my opinion, I don't think that that's because Wayne Williams didn't necessarily kill their, their son or their daughter. I think it's because they were, it was never proven to them otherwise. No one ever proved to these families that Wayne Williams killed their child. And that's the biggest part of this whole, whole mystery to me. And so over the years, decades and decades, it sort of perpetuates this idea of conspiracies, and you know, was the KKK involved? All these other different threads that just come to light because it was never proven to them that it was Wayne Williams. Even if it was Wayne Williams, they would still tell you otherwise, because over the years, it's sort of, they've developed this sort of way of thinking about it, and you know, it's just awful. Um, But that was the biggest thread that I uh, wanted to explore outside of just Wayne Williams himself was sort of the impact on the families and the way people have perceived this. Generations ago, people felt this way about it, and now they're feeling this way about it. Just sort of seeing the then and now and kind of exploring all the different people that were affected by this and their views on it, to me, was really just the core of the podcast.
2: Dude, so... Okay, this is another kind of personal question. Making a show like Up and Vanish or Atlanta Monster, it requires a certain amount of obsession. I think you would agree with that, um, just to get it right. Definitely. Have you found that that has any psychological effects in a way, like makes you think about the world differently or or just shapes your vision in some way in the real world while you're walking around um, if you've got all this dark stuff just kind of looming in the back of your head?
3: Yeah, I mean, it definitely has an effect on you. It, it's a pretty dark subject matter. And I try not to focus too much on the dark parts of it. I'm not the kind of person who wants to take the story of a murder and just punctuate all the gory details of it. That is not something that I'm ever interested in. I'm more interested in interviewing the people surrounding this event or this unsolved mystery and sort of diving into the hundreds of people that it affects or even in the thousands. Um, So I try to like keep my focus on things that aren't the darkest elements of these stories, but regardless, at the core of it is this really sad and disturbing story, whether it's a missing persons case or it's the Atlanta child murders. And so it definitely has an effect on me psychologically, but I, I do my best to sort of tune that out and not let that affect my day to day life and also not affect the way I tell the story. It's really, really easy, especially if you're becoming obsessed over um, a murder case or a story like this, to, to just kind of lose all sight of what's, what the reality is. You know, what's really going on? It's easy to get lost in it, and then you could come up with an episode that sounds crazy to people. So I have to kind of check myself at all times and, you know, keep a certain amount of distance. Even though I'm plopping myself right in the middle of these things, I still have a certain amount of distance I keep. And that's for my own safety and my own sanity, really. And also so I can tell a better, more objective, true story.
0: So does Wayne Williams ever like shoot you the occasional text or anything?
3: Oh, uh, not anymore. I think he's got I think his cell phones got snatched up. <laughs> uh, but um I've definitely got some phone calls from prison that I believe are Wayne and I haven't even listened to the voicemails. But um I think it's probably Wayne Williams. Uh, But really, since the podcast, I haven't really been talking to him at all. I think that if I were to reach out to him and want to talk to him again, he would totally do it, without a doubt. And at the drop of a hat, he would hop on the phone and be on any of my podcasts, I would think.
0: And we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. podcast producer?
2: Yes, yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly, with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way.
0: Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard,
1: right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text SNAG to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert.
0: Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire
2: all right, we're switching gears here we're we're moving to the present we're getting to up and vanish season two, which just came out August twentieth is when it was first uh the first episode came out um I've listened to it I hope you out there have also listened to it so it focuses on the disappearance of crystal Ann. uh is it Reisinger? Reisinger? Risinger? risinger risinger yes. and um So let's just get into exactly how this case is different from season one, Tara Grinstead's case.
3: There's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences between season one and season two of Up and Vanished. The main differences are, well, in season one, it was a small town, right? It was Osceola, Georgia, South Georgia, kind of middle of nowhere, off the highway, a few thousand residents, pretty small. In this case, we are even more remote. We are three and a half, almost four hours southwest of Denver. And the closest store, really, that's um, a Walmart or, you know, a chain restaurant is over an hour drive away from here. And this town only has 150 residents. Now, there's people outside the town in this area called the Baca that has about 1,000 or so more. But in the town proper of Crestone, where this um, missing persons case is set, It's a very tiny place, and it's also a very unique place. This is a place full of over 15 different spiritual centers. It's a very uh, holy place that attracts different truth seekers and uh, people seeking enlightenment. So you have all these kind of interesting people here, and it's really the reason that Crystal came here, was for all the positive energy here and all the different um, ways of life that are kind of, clashing here together and working together as one. And that draws a lot of people from all over the world here. And what I found is that even though this is a very holy place, a very spiritual place in the mountains, it's at 8,000 feet elevation, it's a beautiful place, even though it's all these great things, it's not immune to evil. Just like everywhere else in the world, in Denver, in Atlanta, in any big city, there are bad people there. And just because this is a holy place and a special place, unfortunately, it seems like it's not immune to bad people. And that's what we're exploring now is, um, you know, what happened to Crystal? We don't know. Uh, Crystal's family doesn't know. Law enforcement does not know. And so we're here in and I'm actually here now on this pretty bad Wi-Fi talking to you guys. But uh, we're here to try to find out. And we want to tell Crystal's story um, and memorialize her and, you know, introduce a different, unique person to the world. And that's what we're excited to do.
0: So, you know, beyond just, you know, worrying about people wanting to murder you in your sleep, um, out where you are in this very rural area, there's other things you have to worry about, like, you know, hostile wildlife. What's what's that like?
3: So apparently the wildlife here is extremely abundant. I mean, I'm, I'm right now I'm looking out the window and I just see huge mountaintops that are just a few hundred yards away from me. I'm... Surrounded by mountains. We, the people are the smaller population here. <laughs> there are more animals here than there are people. And it's just an extremely vast place. I was talking to one local named David, and he was telling me a story about his friend um, who, and we kind of covered this in episode two, one of his friends, a bear broke into her car because she left food in her car. And somehow the the bear fumbled the door and hopped inside and then the door closed and then it locked. And so she comes out the next morning and she finds literally a raging bear eating the inside of her car. And so someone had to go over there with like a big broom and poke the door open and the bear runs off and there's mountain lions here. There's wolves, there's all kinds of animals that are really in your face here. And so, obviously with with uh the terrain and the wildlife here like it is one of the possibilities because we don't know what happened to crystal is you know did she go into the woods hiking and um you know have an encounter with uh, an animal or did she um have an accident somewhere there's tons of cliffs here there's mine shafts here there's a bunch of unexplored territory that's just off the grid that would be very difficult to find someone in if you needed help so there's tons of possibilities. It's not just this idea of uh, there being bad people here or something, which are everywhere. There's also this element of being in the wild, and it's very real here.
1: It's it's also intriguing that you mention being in the wild and living an off-the-grid sort of life here, because from we what we understand, uh, aspects of this case may touch on Uh, Something that we've talked about in the past on the show, the rainbow gatherings, this intentional recurring community wherein people, I guess, only trade or give things to each other. Uh, Also a place candidly or an environment candidly known uh, for a being very open and welcoming to certain types of drugs.
3: Definitely. There are tons of groups like that here. The Rainbow Gathering is just one of them that comes through every now and then. There are countless different groups and religious groups and spiritual centers and different beliefs, and you may even refer to some of them as cults. There's all kinds of different groups here, and they're kind of clashing, and it's this melting pot of the best of the best and the worst of the worst, and it just opens so many different possibilities to where Crystal may have gone or what may have happened to her. And so in episode two, we do cover the rainbow gathering briefly because uh, talking to the sheriff's department here, one of the early rumors was that someone said they saw her get in this car with a group of people and they were going to the rainbow gathering. They reached out to the rainbow gathering, no one seen Crystal, and it kind of fizzles out. Personally, I don't think she went there. I think something else happened to her, but the possibility is still there. And if not the Rainbow Gathering, maybe it's something else. There's tons of groups of people here who do weird stuff. And, um, you know, not all of it is bad, but um, some of it includes drugs and um, sort of a rougher lifestyle that could potentially put someone in danger. And so there's so much to explore with the different types of people here and what they believe in and what they do. And, you know, was crystal, asho- was crystal associated with them? You know, we don't know, but that's one of the avenues that we're exploring.
2: You know, there's, <laughs> this is completely off topic, but also in episode two, you speak to someone named Candace. And Candice, Candice is part of this thing that's called the UFO Watchtower that's out there in a valley somewhere. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Oh, yeah. It's funny. I was actually at the UFO Watchtower yesterday. And uh, talking to the other lady who works there, who's very nice, her name's Judy. But there's uh, just outside of town on the main highway, there's a, a UFO watchtower, which is literally exactly what you think it is. It's a watchtower where you go and look for UFOs in the sky. And beyond just being this platform where you can have this essentially unadulterated view of the sky, it's also a place that according to them is very holy and there's different portals here and all this sort of magical stuff happens there. Right. So your first inclination is, or mine is at least. Yeah. Right. You know, I believe in UFOs. I've I've seen UFOs once in my life. And I think that there's definitely odd things happening in the sky sometimes that isn't explained, but you start talking about portals and this being some, you know, they're mentioning that there's a spacecraft buried under this place. And they sound kind of, you know, untrue to me, or I'm at least skeptical at first. And then she said, well, pull pull out your phone and open your compass app. I said, okay. And so I start walking around, and she said, that way, and she pointed to the left, that's north. And then on my compass, to the far right, it said north. So I started walking around, and my compass literally was jumping around like crazy it didn't know where we were or what was going on and everyone's phone was doing it. So it wasn't a magnetic thing. It's like a satellite thing or something, but what, maybe it's just a coincidence, but for whatever reason, if you pull a compass out in this place, it doesn't know where you are or what's going on or something is interfering with it. So after I saw that happen with my own eyes, which was yesterday, um, I opened my own eyes up a little bit more and, um, Kind of, uh, I don't know if I believe everything, but I am open to it. People have a bunch of differing beliefs here, and it's not my job to tell them it's true or untrue. I just want to learn more about it. And um, I've seen some stuff with my own eyes, and that was one of them. But uh, that, that's one of many places that are extremely unique and um, really worth checking out. And actually, a funny little side note. this is I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so we were there yesterday getting some more audio with the owner. It was just us there, and a car pulls up with two people in it. It was like a husband and wife. And they pulled me aside and said, hey, do you make a podcast? I was like, yeah, I do. They said, is it up and vanished? And I, I said, yes. <laughs> Are you paying? <laughs> yes. And they said, that's so crazy because as we were rolling up, we just finished episode two. I was like, this is absolutely insane right now. Oh, what are wow. the chances? So I guess um, people are as interested in Crest Zone as I am. And um, it's not all bad. It, there's a lot of good people here, a lot of interesting people here, and there's a lot to learn here. But yeah, I thought that was so strange that the only run-in I had yesterday was with a listener who had just heard on the podcast, Candace telling this story about UFOs in the sky, and then I overhear them as I'm leaving, Candace telling them the same story that they heard on the podcast just a few minutes earlier. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> kind of crazy.
2: All right, so there's one more just connection that we have to ask you about, and that is mm-hmm. uh, this little Netflix documentary called Wild Wild Country and the Rajneesh Movement. Uh, is there... Yeah. What, what is the connection between that group of people and Crestone?
3: So, I was in a, a in a different interview. I was talking about a guy who will emerge later on in the series. And he's one of the people who attends the drum circles. Very nice guy, very eclectic, very interesting background. His life story is just would blow your mind. But as we were in there in his um, hobbit-shaped house, he calls it a hobbit house. It looks like it's straight out of Lord of the Rings. Um, And he built it himself. We're in this hobbit house of his. And I see a picture of um, Rajneesh on the wall. And so one of uh, our producers asked him about it, and he says that he was a part of that group. He was there. And then after he left there, he came to Crestone, and he's been here ever since. I was like, that's unbelievable. And I had just finished um, Wild Wild Country, which is amazing. You should check it out if you haven't. But um, that just gives you a little insight to the kind of people that are here. It's the same kind of people. It's a bunch of differing beliefs. And everyone is very convicted about it, but they all work together in unison. And it's pretty bizarre to see. But just it, everyone here has their own story. You do not end up in Crestone. Crestone is at the very end of the road. It, you do not end up here on accident. So everyone came here for a reason. So the more people you talk to, the more interesting stories you find. Because everyone has a backstory.
0: And we start to hear in the early episodes of the the new season um, about one of the reasons people might have ended up there, which is the uh, kind of somewhat booming, to my understanding, drug scene. Um, and Crystal supposedly, possibly, uh, had some involvement in that world. Is there anything that you can tell us about what might be coming next? Just some kind of teaser. Don't want any spoilers, but this is fascinating stuff.
3: Yeah. So this being a very spiritual place, over the years it has attracted sort of a drug culture. And I think it's in some ways been perpetuated by the legalization of marijuana here. Personally, marijuana use, that's totally fine. That's not a big deal to me. It shouldn't be a big deal anywhere. And it's extremely legal here. No one even thinks or talks about it. There's you know, weed stores everywhere here. But I think that um, being so remote, it's not very policed here. There's not a lot of police presence here. And so I think what's happened over time is Um, what the sheriff refers to as trust fund kids, people, um, kids that are in their mid-20s, late-30s who have money and don't work and just come out here and live off-grid and sort of kind of, you know, linger around town and cause disruptions and just living wild out here and being crazy. And there's been, uh, over the years, the past couple of years, there's been more and more people like this And so what we're thinking is that at some point along Crystal's journey here in Crestone, she had a run-in with these people and got closer with them, and something in this friend circle may have happened. And so as the series goes on, we start kind of honing in on who and what are we looking for here? Who did Crystal know here that knows where she is? Because we are very confident that someone here knows where Crystal is. And the question is, why aren't they saying anything about it? And is this a murder case,
2: dude? Okay, <laughs> are you sold? Yeah, man? <laughs> I, I'm in. I'm in. Well, like I said, I, I just listened to season two uh, today. So, mm-hmm. or excuse me, episode two awesome. today, mm-hmm. and. Yes. I just want to go to that watchtower. That's all. I want to go spend like a week. Oh, man,
3: it's so cool that you love it.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: And we hope that you listeners uh, will take this as a sign, uh, whether directly from us or from uh, some extraterrestrial in the sky, to check out Up and Vanished Season 2. And just to be completely clear with everyone listening, Matt, Noel, Super Producer Paul, and I are... Also, don't know what's going to happen. Correct. So, so we are we are experiencing this story along with you and Payne. We want to thank you so much for giving us this firsthand look uh, behind the scenes of Up and Vanished, of Atlanta Monster, and uh, a little bit of a prescient look at Up and Vanished season two. But these are th- these are some. Uh, huge projects that you have done with tenderfoot tv which is the larger entity at work here could you tell our listeners uh where they can go to learn more about upcoming projects from tenderfoot
3: sure our company website is tenderfoot.tv as far as up and vanish goes you can go to upandvanish.com. uh we're currently in season two there's been two episodes released so far we're planning on going 12 episodes, but also sprinkling in a few bonus episodes that are really, in my eyes, uh, not even bonus episodes. There'll be people that you meet along this journey that you may find very interesting, and we found them pretty interesting as well. So some of the side episodes will be sort of on these different characters we run into and all, the, all the strange ways they intersect into Crystal's life. But uh, yes, all the social media handles are up and vanished want well, to follow me, it's just Payne Lindsay, But um, yeah, we're excited about season two and hope to have a positive result and at the very least be able to memorialize Crystal and tell her story.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Payne. Uh, we all look forward to the journey that we're going to take with you Ooh. as you take us there. Agreed. Awesome. Agreed. Uh, and as a reminder,
1: if you for some reason have not listened to Atlanta Monster yet, you can listen to the entire thing today. It is very much binge-worthy. You can also find every single show that we have ever done on our website, stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, We we don't want to have to do the whole rundown there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode,